Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Daniil Medvedev is your 2023 Rome champion. He wins the 20th title of his career, his first on clay, his fifth of the season. Passes Carlos Alcaraz, now leads the tour. Beating Holger Runa in the final, 7-5, 7-5. What a storyline this is going into Roland Garros, which is that an elite player over the course of the last three to four years has not been elite on clay, has just broken through in the biggest way possible. Unbelievable. Excited to talk about the match. Uh, I want to uh, discuss later on how important Medvedev's fitness was in this match, how important his offense off the ground was. I want to discuss Runa and just the range of styles he can play within one match, and if that's good, if that's bad, what does that mean? But first, we got to address what's happened here, big picture. And if you watch all my stuff, listen to all my stuff, you will have heard a lot of this before, but we need to package this here. So I apologize for repeating myself on some of this stuff, but let's close the book on this because I have a feeling going forward, it's going to be a lot less of a storyline and a lot less of a question mark. And we've gotten some clarity, I think, on what the deal is with Medvedev on clay. And this is a great moment to just look back and, and try to understand what's happened here. So let's start with, why was he so bad? From 2020 to 2022, his record on clay was 9-7, and seven, with most of those wins coming at Roland Garros. Almost zero of that success coming Monte Carlo, Madrid, Rome. Although Monte Carlo, he hadn't played for the last two years, so scratch that part of it. So first, why was he so bad? In terms of what his game brings to the table, three reasons. The movement, which is a massive part of what Daniil Medvedev does. He's as good a defender as there is. Wasn't comfortable on the clay. Didn't have his footing. Didn't really know how to slide correctly. Never really moved all that well. The serve, the first serve, huge weapon. Big part of what Medvedev does. That's going to be diminished on the clay. 
not just for Daniil, but for basically everybody. And lastly, his ground stroke game. There are a lot of things that are amazing and awesome about it. The consistency, yep. How low his flat trades are able to stay. I think that's a big deal. The depth, the precision, it's all good. But not the weight of shot. The weight of shot was not a strength of the Medvedev ground game. And on clay, that is of elevated importance because the ball is going to lose so much speed when it hits the court surface, especially if you don't hit with a lot of topspin, which Medvedev does not, that it takes a little extra oomph to generate offense. You need more power. You need more weight of shot. Medvedev didn't have that. So movement, serve, weight of shot. Circumstance. Circumstance played a role here. That's what I think could have been lost in the sauce, could have been ignored, something that I've been harping on. 2020, COVID. Um, only two clay events, really, for for almost you know everybody. Uh, but for Medvedev, it was just Hamburg, Roland Garros. But who knows how much clay preparation he was able to have even prior to those events. And remember, this is for a guy who has disadvantages on clay, who didn't grow up on clay, who's not all that comfortable on clay. So 2020 was a weird year. 2021, I thought it was the bad attitude year. That's what I, because in my mind, that's what it was, where Medvedev just wasn't competing. But somebody on Twitter pointed out this, pointed something out to me. And then it all, the memories just came rushing back. I, I remembered it. Daniil got an awful bout of COVID just ahead of the clay court season, missed Monte Carlo, missed Barcelona, was in bed doing nothing for for a week, uh, was severely weakened, did not have fitness when he first came back. So now I remember 2021, not only was he, was he not bringing a great attitude to the court, but his fitness was down, coming off of a, a really bad bout of COVID. And then at Roland Garros, uh, he ended up making the quarters. Uh, anyway, 2022, hernia, coming back from injury. Plus, it was a down year start to finish. So how much are we reading into the 2022 stuff? But anyway, again, missed Monte Carlo, uh, missed, missed, uh, missed Madrid, missed Rome, comes back from that injury, plays one match in Geneva, and then plays Roland Garros from there. Loses badly in the round of 16 to Marin Cilic. Bad circumstance. Three years in a row. What do we get now? What do we get here in 2023? Let's shift this. Why did he get good? Because this clay court season, uh, first of all, coming off of what was as physical a February and March as you can possibly have. Very little preparation for Monte Carlo. Almost none. Plus the fatigue factor. Not a lot should have been expected. Still, decent result. Beat Zverev. Lost to Runa in the quarterfinals. Went to Madrid. And lost to Karatsev round of 16. So, he hadn't really proven anything at that point. But that all changed this week, of course. After he lost early in Madrid, he got some hard practice sessions in 
worked on the sliding, worked on the heavier, spinnier forehand and said, look, this is great. I haven't gotten this kind of time to practice on clay in a long time. And going into Rome, he said he felt great. He said he was confident. And as we'll get to with when Medvedev says stuff, we should believe him. Um, so full season of practice, full clay court season, hadn't had that plus committed attitude. The stuff he was working on, on the practice court, he got competitive about it. He's like, yeah, I'm not good at sliding. Well, I'm going to actually try to fix this and work on this instead of complaining about it. So committed attitude, full season of practice, movement got better, weight of shot improved. And this is something I pinpointed before the clay court season when Medvedev won on his run through February and March, three titles in a row, really good sunshine double, wins Miami. Um, it's something I highlighted then that, you know, this whole thing with Medvedev going to the softer technofiber string, which provided him more easy power, that might be something that clogs up one of the clay court obstacles. And it did. So here is Medvedev winning Rome. Masters 1000 on clay had never won a match. And before we continue on, one drum I was always beating. One thing I've said since 2021 is that the delta between Medvedev on hard court and clay court was always far wider than modern surface and style homogenization allows for. In other words, if you look at how hard court tennis is played nowadays and how clay court tennis is played nowadays, those it it's too similar. It's too much the same for there have to have been such a big difference between Medvedev on hard and clay. So in many ways, this was just inevitable regression to the norm. This was always how it was going to be to an extent. The only surprise here is that it has swung to such extremes that it went from nine and seven on clay, which is ordinary. That means, you know, that makes you just kind of like a, I don't know, slightly above 500 means you're a top 40 kind of player. All right, it's pretty good, but it's pretty ordinary. To someone who's winning the Rome Masters. The only surprise here is that it swung with such extremes because there was always going to be clay court improvement for Medvedev from what we have seen from previous years. That is how it is. So what do we learn from this? Always expect that if there's that, and by the way, clay to hard court, same thing. Always expect Casper Ruud kind of proved this correct last year, that if there's a level of success happening on hard or clay, that to a large extent, not 100%, but to a large extent, it is going to transfer over because that 
is a reality of modern tennis. We are no longer in the days of the 80s and the 90s and the and the, the early 2000s where you have completely different kinds of players winning Roland Garros as you do Wimbledon. And in the case where you have the same players winning both, they are completely changing their styles like Bjorn Borg winning channel doubles by grinding from behind the baseline with heavy topspin at Roland Garros and then serve and volleying at Wimbledon. Those days are over. That being said, I don't want to take the surprise factor out of this. I don't want to say uh, in, in no way am I on some kind of heart, high horse of, of expecting this. Um, and even Medvedev, even Medvedev did not expect this. He said before the tournament that he gave himself a 2% chance to win Rome. Almost zero, but he felt so good about the practice sessions and, you know, about how he was playing that he gave himself 2% chance. He was asked by Prakash on Tennis Channel after the match, you know, what did you think you were capable of on clay? And he said, I thought I, I could win some matches. Always knew I was going to start winning some matches. He said, to win some matches, yes. To be in the semis with a good draw, yes. But to win a Masters 1000 on clay, I never thought I could do something like that. So even Medvedev didn't expect this. The surprise here is that it swung to such an extreme. And by the way, he didn't get draw help really either. So before I get into the match, I want to cheat ahead. Roland Garros power rankings. There's a lot of excitement. I've been hit up on Twitter a couple times about it. I'm going to release it tomorrow. But let me, while we're on the Medvedev topic, let's address it. Let's talk about it. Really simple. He has to be very, very high. Three facts alone. I don't think I need to overcomplicate it. He leads the race. He's won a major. And now he's won Rome. And again, not much draw help. He beat Tsitsipas. He beat Runa. He beats Zverev. I don't put as much weight, nearly as much weight into this Zverev win. But he beat Tsitsipas and he beat Runa. And uh, both of those players are towards the top of the RG power rankings. Let's get into the match. I am uh, I'm beginning a kind of a collaboration and I'm I'm kind of talking. It's not it's nothing official right now. It's very casual. Maybe it'll turn into more, but I'm um I've been talking and working with uh some friends at at Tennis Insights and Tennis Viz. And they have been doing a lot of data analytics with an unbelievable uh technology that tracks every shot of of an ATP match. Tracks every single shot, every single player movement. It has an unbelievable amount of data inputs. Uh, and you've been seeing some of that on the broadcast and potentially on social media. When you see uh, in attack percentage, conversion percentage, steal percentage, some things that ATP Media has been using on their WorldFeed broadcast, uh, that comes from from these guys. And I've been talking to them. Um, again, maybe, that, maybe we'll begin to do something a little bit more formal, but right now it's informal. Uh, I did talk to... In fact, I got a, a recent message. Um, okay, interesting. Okay. I just got some info uh, that I'm going to use live on Monday Match Analysis. But anyway, uh, we have been talking. So I'm going to use their number as a framework, their uh, insight, data insight as a framework for all of this, which is that the match reality 
was that Runo was attacking more than Medvedev, but Medvedev was attacking better. Their conversion score and conversion is when a player attacks and the data that they use to determine that is both players' court positions, uh, the, the contact point itself. So if it's like super low, super high, way outside, way inside, you know, it understands that. And the outgoing ball. So it it measures a bunch of factors to determine an attack. Factors that, for me, watching tennis is a little bit more innate. I'm not breaking it down kind of thing by thing, but to create an algorithm, you would have to, right? Uh, how, what percentage of points do you win when you attacked? You don't need to win on as soon as you attack. You could attack, get neutralized, attack again, and win, right? But... Basically, what percentage of points did you win when you attacked? Medvedev's conversion percentage was 70%. Runa's was 54%. So as I kind of talk about, and I'm going to zoom in on the 5-6 game in the first set, keep that in mind. But I think the big reason for that was Medvedev and his patient ground game waiting for opportunities to build with his forehand mainly was providing him high margin, low risk attack. He was willing to probe for an opportunity to hit big forehands. And if he did happen to get neutralized on an attacking forehand, he was still in position to regather and potentially still win the point later on. Runa, on the other hand, to me, he wasn't really doing as much dirty work from the baseline to earn weaker incoming balls, meaning he wasn't willing to wait as long for a ball to attack. He was a little bit more anxious. And at many times, with the exception of one point in the match, which I'll talk about in the second set, he got caught going for easy offense with serve and volley, drop shots, or extreme injections of pace from positions that were not obvious finishing opportunities. So again, I want to look at the 5-6 game in the first set. First set, coming into this, uh, coming kind of down the stretch of the set, I was just surprised that neither player was returning very well. So I didn't think the match had much rhythm or much pattern or... It was very clear what was really going to happen in the match at this point. But at 5-6, Medvedev gets some returns in play. And then we got a peak because Medvedev gave himself a chance. Then we got a peak on what the advantages were for Daniil and what the issues were for Runa in this match. Serve plus one winner by Runa to start the game. Hit the outside of the sideline. Almost missed it with a, a pretty... It's a pretty massive forehand. It was it was risky, but he hit the outside of the line. Clean winner. Uh, 15 love. I have screenshots of this one. I think a really good example of what has changed for Medvedev on clay. He hits a backhand trade cross court. Runa hits a backhand trade cross court, but it's a bad one. Middle of the court. Uh, but, you know, Runa's in really good defensive position. Uh, Medvedev's got two feet behind the baseline here. Now he's going to kind of move up to just behind the baseline. But he does have a forehand to attack. He's going to lay into it. And by the way, he's already hit in this rally a couple of good forehands. 
and Runa has already done some running. So uh, Holger's legs may be a little bit zapped at this point in the rally because Medvedev has already moved him. Um, but here's this inside-out forehand from Medvedev. Great location. He gets some good width on this, but he's not really flirting with the sideline either, so he's found a, a very good target. This is a high-margin, aggressive forehand, and he's going to draw the error here. So what did we see? We saw Runa in good defensive position. We saw Medvedev behind the baseline. Yet, Medvedev had enough juice and enough fizz in his forehand to do point-ending damage from that position, making Holger pay for a bad trade. But let's say Runa defended this successfully. No problem. Medvedev would have just gotten right back on the horse, accepting neutrality, staying patient, and continuing to look for an opportunity uh, to, first of all, maybe allow Runa to make the first unforced error or mistake, or look for another opportunity to attack. Uh, let's move on in the game. Uh, at So that made it 15-all. At 15-all, Medvedev actually made a forehand unforced error of his own. 30-15, Runa leading. We're two points away from a first set tie break. Here's his second serve. And Runa hits a slow kick serve out wide to Medvedev's backhand and comes in behind it. Mmm, I hate that play. Passing shot, Medvedev, 30-all. On the return, great, you know, angled passing shot. Uh, but look, I, I don't know about this. I don't know what we're going for here. Now, there were a couple of physical rallies here. 15 love point that I showed you was physical. And the 15 all point was also an extended rally when Medvedev made the forehand uh, unforced error. Uh, it was kind of a cross-court rally in the deuce. So we have two physical rallies in a row. And after watching the second set, I didn't think this at the time, but after watching the second set, the pattern that now becomes clear is Runa served and volleyed here, most likely because he was a little bit tired. Um, second serve. Serve and volley was not awful for Runa because Medvedev, again, he did not return that well in this match. Not as well as he usually does. But on the second serve, I hate that play, as I said. Because if Medvedev did not hit a, a clean winner on the passing shot, then it probably still would have been a really difficult low volley that Runa, as we saw throughout this match, is is not really going to make a lot of difficult volleys uh, into successful volleys. He's probably not going to do that. And with Medvedev's speed, you know, he's we're probably looking at a two two shot pass anyway. So now it's thirty all. Another point that I have screenshots for. Another brilliant point by Medvedev. We are going to, uh, off of kind of a, a backhand cross-court trade from Runa, uh, once again, Medvedev is going to determine that Runa has hit an attackable trade. Medvedev is going to build with his backhand down the line. Runa defends with the forehand slice, but it's going to be short in the court. Medvedev knows that. He's already moving up inside the court to... To cover this. So now he's inside the baseline. Now we have an opportunity to hit a forehand approach. Medvedev hits it down the line. Forehand approach down the line. 
Look at the margin. Medvedev's never missing this shot. Never. He's not going for much. He's actually trusting his volleys here because he knows that Runa is super far behind the baseline and he knows he doesn't need to finish. Runa hits this backhand passing shot. Actually a great one. Great passing shot, but it doesn't matter. He's he's in such an awful position here that Medvedev still has a volley that to Runa's credit, Medvedev is stretched out for it because it was a good passing shot. But st stretch volley, drop volley, not perfect, but good enough. I don't show you the end of this point, but Runa actually gets there in time, but uh, hits a kind of a dig, a dug up lob that went long. Look at this offense. Look at this beautiful, beautiful baseline offense for Medvedev. Backhand down the line, build. Forehand down the line, approach. Drop volley, finish. This is, uh, this is what Clay requires off the ground. Multiple, multiple attacking shots with high margin. You can't expect to finish it uh, quickly. So, break point, 30-40. Again, I have screenshots for it. Uh, Runa is going to, off of this ball, hit the backhand drop shot. It's uh, not really a ball that, it's not there. Runa's court position isn't good. He's well behind the baseline, about six feet behind the baseline. Medvedev's court position, it's not horrible. It's also like six feet behind the baseline. And that's going to make this drop shot really, really tough. Easy forehand winner cross court for Medvedev off of that. So twice, Runa going for the instant offense, the drop shot from neutral. And this is the difference between Medvedev and Runa in a way, right? I, I kept stressing the fact that if Medvedev's attacks were unsuccessful, that it wasn't going to doom him. It wasn't going to necessarily mean that he was going to lose the point. But for Runa, when you serve in volley, it better work or you are going to lose, right? If you get neutralized, well, there's no turning back. If it doesn't work, there's no turning back. You're going to lose the point. Same thing with the drop shot. If you hit a bad drop shot, you've set up your opponent for something as easy as this. It, it's an easy winner here. It's a, it's a 9 out of 10, if not more, routine put away. That's what happens when you hit a drop shot that bad. So Runa is going for higher risk offense, and he's getting burned here twice. Plus Medvedev was outstanding. And that created the break of serve in the first set. Does that paint the picture a little bit? Love Medvedev with the high margin, disciplined, baseline aggression. Um, and even at, at one point here, willing to come forward and, and finish at net. Versus Runa, serve and volley, drop shot. Uh, really risky injections of pace because again, he almost, at love all, he just made the forehand that he that he hit for a winner outside of the line. They had to check the mark. Drop shots. Uh, this was what I, I got a text for. 13 drop shots uh, by Runa. 4.1. So that conversion rate by Runa that we highlighted 
as only 54%. Part of that is, well, you're drop shotting. That's an attack. And you're losing the majority of those points. And to me, it was not an execution problem. It was a decision-making problem. Usually, it just wasn't there for him when he was trying it. Okay, transition. Next point. That was the first set. In the second set, I thought this became a lot about Medvedev's fitness versus Runa's fitness. Look, Murata Glue saw what was happening with Runa. He, he saw the impatience from Holger and how it was hurting him. And he said at the change of ends, and by the way, for a second, it, it, it did work as Runa played a, a really good opening game of the second set where he was just blowing the absolute cover off the ball and making shots. Uh, we've seen that before. Sometimes Runa, you know, he's so talented that he doesn't necessarily need to have super disciplined shot selection in order to make a lot of great things happen on the court. So that's what happened, start of the second, but Medvedev got the break back. Um, and at this point, it was back on serve, and Patrick Muratoglu told Holger to play with more patience. And Holger basically said, okay, and became Gilles Simone. Gilles Simone. Uh, that's basically, basically, he went to the other extreme. He played unbelievably patient, and it worked. Now, Medvedev matched him for consistency, which we know he's going to do. If you're going to play super patient against Medvedev, uh, like at times we've seen Djokovic do, like at times we've seen um, other players do, Zverev do, Medvedev is going to say, okay, I'll play that game too. Great. Awesome. Let's do it. And they're playing these unbelievably long rallies. So what happened here? It got insanely physical. It got so physical. And Runa started winning from 3-all. He broke serve at 3-all. He held at 2-3, at broke at 3-all. He got it to 5-3. He won four straight games. He broke Medvedev's serve. Well, no, only one. Wait, did I get that wrong? I might have gotten that wrong. But anyway, he, um, he broke serve and got to 5-3. The patience worked. But he felt the effects of it. All of that physical play, Runa fatigued quickly and severely. And guess what? Medvedev was completely fine. Totally fine. Holger seemed dead tired at 5-3. Uh, he's trying to serve out the set. First point at 5-3, Holger dug in. Played a long physical rally, lost it, doubled over, and at that point you could say, you could kind of tell, okay, Medvedev is going to break here. There's no, you know, Runa, he's physically spent, he's down love 15, I'd be surprised if he holds serve. He didn't, and he didn't win another game. I guess first from the Medvedev standpoint... We've talked about this kind of juxtaposition. First of all, I mean, Medvedev, his cardio is unbelievable. And after these long points, it was incredible to see that he, first of all, wanted to play as quickly as possible. He wanted to keep the cardiovascular pressure on, was barely breathing heavy. 
was barely making impatient shot selection decisions, was just willing to keep playing that style, looked like he could go another hour doing it. And Runa was huffing and puffing and having to kind of almost make up for long rallies with short rallies on the heel on the tail end of that. You know, that looks like something like, oh, long rally, tired, serve and volley. Something like that, right? Just like we saw kind of at that, in that 5-6 uh, game in the first set, after two long rallies, we saw the serve and volley behind the second serve. So Runa was doing that. Medvedev was totally fine. And not only does Medvedev have incredible fitness in these kinds of situations. He's also extraordinarily difficult to play against if you're tired. We've covered this in the past. He doesn't give you errors. He makes his returns. He keeps the ball deep. He extends points with his defense. He is a nightmare to play against if you are tired. And Runa became dead tired in the second set after getting consistent. It worked, but it killed him. It killed him from 5-3 to 7-5. Uh, from, from Aruna's standpoint, you know, he played two three-setters in a row against top five opponents. By the way, stat, in case you haven't seen this stat, Aruna is now, he was 7-1 and one before the final. He's now 7-2 and two in his career against top five players. Okay? That, that has nothing to do with the point I'm making. I just wanted to say it on this show in case in case any of you are kind of just haven't seen that somewhere, you should know the stat because it's incredible. Anyway, he played two three-setters against top five opponents in a row, but all of this was spread over the course of five days. His quarterfinal, his semifinal, and his final spread over the course of five days. So in theory, he should have been able to kind of deal with this in an ideal world. Plus, we, we also saw him fatigue in the Monte Carlo final. So I will say I have some questions about Runa's ability to withstand two weeks of best of five set tennis his ability to go all the way based on what I saw here in Rome I do have I, I do have those questions Rome Monte Carlo uh, obviously when he first came up in his career the endurance was the biggest question mark surrounding Holger Runa because he kept cramping now credit to him he solved the cramping stuff that doesn't happen anymore that's no longer an issue but the uh, the endurance factor is still probably a thing right now for Runa. Another thing that was so interesting, though, in this match is that he could play completely different styles, oscillate between different styles in these short spans and extreme opposite ends. We're talking... You know, I, I said he started playing like Gilles Simone. We're talking full-out grinder, full-out to, to full-out aggressive baseliner, to, you know, crafty net rusher, serve and volley, feel player. Like, we're seeing the broadest of broadest spectrums for Runa. And I've had to kind of adjust how I feel about it because when it first hit me throughout this season, my the way it hit me was... This guy, he doesn't know who he is. He has no identity. He doesn't really know how he needs to play or wants to play. He's erratic. 
and I, I was looking at it in such a negative way, the fact that there were just so many different ways of playing. And I think that was wrong. I'm starting to appreciate some of the benefits of this. Now, do I think that at some point he there is going to be a much more polished version of this and that he is going to get a better feel for his shot selection, point in, point out, match in, match out? Yes. But I'm starting to appreciate the benefits of Runa's alternate personalities on the tennis court. First of all, I believe it's completely unsettling for his opponent when you just have no idea what he's going to do with the ball or what he's trying to do. You don't know what you're getting. You don't know what to prepare for. You don't know when he has a backhand, a neutral backhand from the back of the court, if he is going to lay into it and hit it 90 miles per hour down the line, or if he is going to hit a high topspin massaged 70 mile per hour looper right through the middle of the court and just sit here in beautiful defensive position giving you no pace to work with. You don't know. You don't know which one. You don't know if he's serving volleying. You don't know if he's staying back. You never know, right? You get the picture. That's unsettling. There are also experimental benefits. We saw in this match that he was able to kind of try to play completely differently. I think from, you know, partially because his coach told him to play completely differently and it worked. Okay, he he figured something out. He found something out. There are experimental benefits for Runa completely changing his style all the time. Lastly, and this is the biggest thing that I, I never saw the light until this match. Runa seems to genuinely have tons of fun doing this, playing this way. When he broke it 3-all by impersonating Gilles Simone, he was so happy on the court. He looked like he just caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium. He was looking he was looking at his box with Patrick Maradoglu and Mike James and those and and his mom and and he was like, "Did you see what I did? Did you see that? I just grinded. I just completely grinded the entire game and it worked." And that's an asset. A guy like I value that. I think if you can enjoy yourself on the court as Alcaraz does so well, for one, I think that's I think that's great. I think that's an asset. I think that helps you win matches. I think it helps you play well. I think it helps you have a long career. I think it helps you with your nerves. And I think that's a big reason. That's part of the reason why he's been so great against top five players in his career is because he's genuinely excited for these kinds of challenges. He loves getting out here and seeing what he can do. He doesn't get all that nervous, generally speaking. He has a lot of fun out there. And I think this is part of it, is that he genuinely enjoys experimenting and kind of hitting all these different parts of the game. The problem in this match was that both strategies were losing strategies. The anxious offense... The all-out attack, that was getting neutralized and resulting in too many mistakes.
and the ultra consistent, the grinding physically, he could not match up with Medvedev. And therefore, he could not continue to play that way. And his foray into playing that way ended up completely taking out his legs. And Medvedev stood strong. He was fine. So, that was the issue for Holger. Medvedev, Rome champion, 7575. Big week ahead. Roland Garros power rankings tomorrow. Um, obviously, French Open preview once the draw comes out. Uh, no mailbag this week because, as always, first Monday of a major will be mailbag. So the next mailbag will be just prior to Roland Garros. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.